0: This is the University's Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our feature sermon. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Sabbath, God's children. Amen. Please overlook the inefficiency of my voice I should be in my bed right now but two days ago your pastor called me in distress and he told me that his plans for you for today were forcefully altered and he needed a speaker from the conference. It is difficult to get a positive response in two days because most of the people that work at the office that are preachers they have their itinerary sometimes two years in advance. They have appointments. This is one of the only two Sabbaths in this year that I was off. And I, I did not even start the search there. I said to him, Pastor, I am sick. But if you think God can use the rest of me overlooking the best of me, I would not say no. So I'm glad I have a little voice to come by here today to offer to God for him to do what he does best. I hope it's nothing about me and all about him. And I hope you'll be praying for me. The rest of my family, there are five people. Six of us are in my family. They're all down with flu. And I was the strongest of the six of them. So I'm glad to be here. I pray for pastor and his wife and their two sons, wherever they are at this time. One Sunday morning, the pastor showed up at his church, and after waiting for half an hour, one man showed up. That's not a good sign. Thank you. You're so kind. Muchas gracias. Muy amable. One fellow showed up. He was a cattle rancher or a cow farmer. He had a ranch a little way down the street. And for the first time in his life, in his adult life, he decided to visit this church closest to his ranch. And when he got there, he met the pastor. And after a brief exchange of greetings between them, the pastor said to him, Johnny boy, it seems like you and I are stuck together today. Where are the people? and should I preach should I go through with the normal service that we would have Johnny boy the cow rancher looked on the pastor and said pastor I am not very smart you know but if I went to feed my cows and one showed up I would still feed it and that's what the pastor wanted to hear he took the microphone and he preached and after three hours he was still preaching (laughs) He preached, he preached, he preached, he preached. And Johnny listened and listened and listened and listened. Finally, after three and a half hours, he made the appeal and had the final prayer. At the end of his service, he walked back to Johnny and said, Johnny, how was everything today? Did you understand the message? Well, pastor, I told you before and I will tell you again. I am not very smart, you know. But if I went to feed my cows and one showed up, I wouldn't give it all the hay. (laughs) There is plenty of hay today. There is no lack of hay. I opened the back door to your building just now and I saw a pile of hay. And it reminded me of that story. But I promise you I won't give you all the hay will be done before the set of sun. All in favor say aye. Aye. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you need some real Christians to stand up in a generation like ours and make all the difference for the kingdom. Where are all the Christians gone? Please Lord, help us to volunteer today to stand up and say, here am I make me one and send me, in Jesus name, Amen. Open the word of God with me. There is a massive search today, and it is the search for sincere Christians. Well, they all must be hanging out here at university, but as I travel around the conference and the state and to different states, to the caribbean to the middle east it is difficult to identify a true christian there is an obvious lack of that population they just cannot be found and notice i said true christian and not religious people there is no shortage of religious people they are everywhere In fact, it is said that in the continent of Africa alone, they have identified over 1,000 religious groups. And each one is distinct. In the United States of America, it was reported a few days ago by potential president, Dr. Ben Carson, that over 400 different religious groups are identified in the United States. And the number keeps growing and going. There is no shortage of religious people. There has never been. But where are all the true Christians gone? New religions are popping up by the minute. Religion is viewed as a negative thing by the average person out there in the society. What many people, all they know about religion is what they see on the television. They see religious services led by religious zealots, people with zeal. But they see competition. They see confusion. They see, they see materialism on display. They read about it. They read about preachers who need 65, 66 million dollars to buy a second jet. They google the names of famous mega church preachers and they live in homes worth 9 million dollars with 6 or 7 new cars in their garage or garages. They see preachers who take advantage of people who struggle to pay their bills. And because they are so exposed to the reality of religion, they are confused. They are not certain if they should have an interest, yes or no. They see the dollar megathons, fundraisings, and they wonder, what does the church do with all this money? ¿Qué hace la iglesia con tanto dinero? And so for the average viewer and the average citizen, religion is not the positive thing. The world does not need another religion. The Bible too distinguishes between religious people and true Christians. They are not the same. Where am I? Who am I? Am I religious? Do I represent my religion perfectly? That wherever I go, people can see Seventh-day Adventists. Or am I a true Christian who reflects only the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified? What do people see when they see me? What do they hear when they, they listen to me? The Bible distinguishes between religious and Christian people. They are not the same. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself says, Not all them that call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But those that do the will of him that sent me, the will of God. Jesus is making the distinction There are many who say, Lord, Lord. There are many who call upon the name of God. There are many that look sanctimonious on weekends. And I go further to say, there are many who are working miracles. They touch the people on their foreheads and they fall. Sometimes they have to catch them to prevent homicide. One day, Somebody's going to hit the ground and never get up. Jesus is talking about people who are truly His. In Matthew, 27, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says that in the last days, in the last days, it won't be easy to be a true Christian. He never said it won't be easy to be religious, because that's the easy part, to be religious. But in the last days, he says, it will be so difficult to find a true Christian. Because the enemy will be working to deceive every religious person. Even the Christian people. He says, even the very elect. You know who are the elect? The elect are like the special forces. Those who are above and beyond the ordinary. Those who, have, those who have the seal of God in their hearts. Those whom the devil has to come with his utmost best. To even tempt them. And he runs the risk of being defeated. They are the best of the best. La creme de la creme. And Jesus himself said. That if it were even possible. That rascal the devil. Would deceive those best best of the best so how about those who have not arrived on that level they are an easy target for this devil so Jesus is making the distinction that in the last days only true Christians will be able to stand only true Christians will be able to make it you know we are great pretenders I have pretended for many years listen When I was a young Seventh-day Adventist preacher, I started at the age of 15. I was 13 when my parents took me from the Baptist church to the Adventist church. No, I was 11. So long ago, I keep forgetting. And when I was 13, I gave my heart to God because I understood the gospel a little better. And at 15, they put me on the pulpit to preach for four weeks, five nights per week, and twice on Saturdays. 21 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And I was younger than the youngest candidate. And when I was preaching as a youth, through high school, through college, every holiday I got, I would run from college and i will find a pulpit and preach. I felt like the world was coming to an end and somebody had to do it. But the tone of my message, God had mercy on me was fire and brimstone. It was a God that was rigid. It was a God that if you never accepted him now, you may never live to see later. And many times I closed the door of mercy on people. Many times I misrepresented God. I imagine he was there just sitting and smiling. But he still mixed up my mixed up message. He turned it around. And allowed some people to learn enough to give their hearts to Jesus. I thought I was perfect. I thought my church was the only church where true Christians could be found. And I preached it. I'm coming clean, brethren. It's a long time ago and I've been forgiven. But I have grown by spending time with God in his words. He has revealed to me a constant knowledge. And we never get to the place where we understand it all. We never get to the place where we know everything there is to be known. It is a work in progress. I am growing and I am going in my Lord. Every day with Jesus is deeper and sweeter than the day before. I don't want to remain on the same level after he reveals to me his word. Now I've got to the place where I realize that it has to be about Jesus. And if my message is not centered upon Jesus, I am not representing him. He says that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto unto me, unto himself. All I've got to do is to live for Jesus and lift up Jesus. And leave the rest to him. And since I discovered that. And I've been lifting up Jesus. And making the message centered upon him. And making the theme of the sermon all about him. I find that more people are attracted to Jesus. It has to be about Jesus. We cannot be a true Christian. And we give more emphasis to anything else. Than Jesus. Or anyone else than Jesus. I cannot take the Sabbath to people who don't know God. And expect them to understand it. I cannot take veggie meat religion to people. And expect them to understand it when they don't know God. I can't tell people they have to understand Ellen white. And accept in their in their faith. If they don't know about God. People don't need another doctrine. What people really need is Jesus. Just a glimpse of him. And Jesus will make all the difference in the world. In their world. Don't misunderstand me. I will keep the Sabbath faithfully until I die. Don't misunderstand me. In fact, I am from the old school still. And in many ways, I may not change. My Sabbath does not begin at 6 o'clock or 8 o'clock. My Sabbath begins... When God's Sabbath begins, when the sun sets. And I'm not going to be in Winn-Dixie two minutes before sunset. So don't misunderstand me. I will die keeping the Sabbath. And if I know that the meat is filled with toxins and hormones and it's not healthy, I won't eat it because I want this temple To be as clean as I can make it so that the Holy Ghost will delightfully dwell in me. I'm not going to know something is bad for this. And ignore the knowledge and go and do it anyway. Mark you. I'm not doing it because I want to be saved. Because I feel that I've been saved in Jesus long ago. And when I am saved I need to live a saved life. Amen. There is such a thing as sanctification which is the work of a lifetime we never stop learning and growing when we are in jesus peter was not there after three and a half years of ministry with jesus ministering alongside jesus even participating in raising the dead he still was not there but the day finally came and when peter grew up in god And became a mature servant of God. And a true Christian. He offered himself and said listen you can kill me anyhow. Except the way in which you kill my Lord. It takes a true Christian to offer his life for the gospel's sake. Just going to church is never going to be enough. The sad reality is that many well intentioned members of the church. Are exhibiting signs of religious people. And not true Christianity. They are very impressive. But not inspiring. Very impressive. But not inspiring. I am like that sometimes. Not because I want to be. But it is such an easy syndrome. To slide into. Lord I am better off than them. Because. It is such an easy transition. Because of the human weakness. Because of the weakness of the flesh. While we are cautioned not to judge. Did you know we are not to look on people and judge them? I hope I don't come across like that today because that's not my intention. While we are cautioned not to judge. We are also instructed that by their fruits you shall know them. And once we begin to give evidences. It's not judgment anymore. You only judge what you don't know of. Once you begin to live a way that gives people the evidence that you are this or not this, you cannot say they are judging you anymore. One day my daughter, my only daughter, came home from school. And, this, and she said to me, Dad, you might have been 13 years old. She's 20 now. She said, Dad, I don't know. It looked like everyone was staring at me today. Yeah. They all were asked to dress in Halloween costumes, and she didn't have the guts to break her religious beliefs and do that. So she showed up without a wedding garment, you may say. She wasn't fitting in. And they ridiculed her. They stared at her. They criticized her. And she came home a little sad and said, Dad, I don't know why they made me the laughing stock today. I said, don't mind, my baby, don't mind. It's good that you make them talk about you. At least they noticed you. I said, don't worry yourself. If you didn't give them something to talk about, they wouldn't talk. But what she gave them to talk about was good stuff. Because she didn't believe nor practice um, the Halloween stuff. The ha- Halloween? How do you say Halloween? I'm still learning. Because this does not exist where I grew up. I have to be learning about things. I know of ghosts, and I know of um, three-foot horses, and I knew of, you know, duppies, you know. But Halloween, that came later in life. But the point of the matter is that whatever people see you do and hear you say, they won't be judging you anymore because you gave the evidences away. Paul says that in the last days, There will be a distinct difference between being religious and being true Christians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you turn with me to the passage that was so eloquently read by my dear brother, you will notice that the message that 2 Timothy chapter 3 is bringing um, is a mixed message. Mixed because it's designated for two audiences. And it's amazing. Thank you for putting that on the screen. If you read about the background of the two letters from Paul to his young servant and adopted son Timothy, you would discover that these were letters to inform and instruct him about the behavior of church people, principally. And by extension, he was giving him a panoramic view of what the final generation kind of Christianity would look like. If he lived long enough to see it. Because Paul believed that the world was going to come to an end during his time or shortly thereafter. And because Timothy was half his age, he said, well, if I die before you, you will live to see these things happening. So let me tell you, God revealed this to me. And I want you to reveal this to my brethren. That when they see these things happening, they can know that they should not happen among you. Among them, yes, but not among you. You are a peculiar people. Chosen by God. Washed by his blood. So you have to be different, but this is what it will look like. He says, if there is one thing you need to know, know this. That in the last days... Perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of themselves. More than lovers of God. It means. That God for them. Would take second place. Have you seen that taking place around. Do you see people who show more interest in themselves than in God. Oh let me tell you brethren. Every now and then I'm doing visiting. Even with my responsibilities. I still create opportunity to visit. I don't want to lose that. And it is easy to be in the office and, and feel like you have lost the call to ministry. It's easy to feel that way. And so I will do two evangelistic crusades for the year with all my departmental responsibilities. I just closed one three Sabbaths ago, a Spanish crusade in Alta Monte Springs. Thirteen people gave their hearts to God. Hallelujah. It still works. If it is done in the name of King Jesus. Because the Bible says when we lift him up. When we lift up Jesus. He will do the drawing. I don't worry about the result anymore. I just lift up Jesus and leave the rest to him. And let me tell you brethren. When it is done with sincerity. Jesus will never come up empty. He will never come up empty. says, my word shall not return unto me void. Void means empty. But it will be blessed with plenty. Hallelujah. And so people still respond to the gospel. When Jesus is the center of the gospel. Yes. But I see people every now and then. And I invite them to the service. And you know what some of them tell me? It's a common excuse. I don't have any church clothes. And at the same time, their closets are full. Some of them, some ladies have 35. Why do I pick on the ladies? Some men, have, some men have a dozen pairs of shoes. Some men have 20 pants and they're all jeans. And they will tell you, I don't have any church clothes because of how we have spoiled the public. You know, some of us make it hard for some people, you know. They have to look like us to be churchy. No. Jesus says come just as you are. Come just as you are. I did not come to call for perfect people he says. I came to call men from sin to righteousness. I came to call sinners. I came to call sick people. Because a healthy man does not need the physician. A rich man does not need wealth. And they'll say, I have no church clothes, I can't come. One lady told me, when I get my tax return in March or April, I will buy a couple of church dresses, so you'll see me then, from October to April. So what does that tell you? That translates to me, a message that is saying, I have everything else, but nothing for God. So who is more important? Me, me. I know people who are not working enough income to pay for their habit of, of um, uh, what do you call it, uh, appearance. They do liposuction, they do body reduction, they do manicure and pedicure, I mean, with regularity. They do the here. And that's not just one gender. That's all across the board. I noticed some men today make it easier and and trim it off all at once. Barbers don't like that. But the point is, they will find any amount of money to spend on themselves to look good. And can't afford a dollar fifty Bible. So where is God? That's their God, themselves. That's what the text is saying. I'm just making it a little dramatic. Because we are not all, we are not all seeing it the same way, but just to make it dramatic. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They shall be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And I'm sure this is only talking about the people of the world. Unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection. (laughs) We don't have time to get into these individually. Truth breakers. False accusers. Incontinent. Fierce. Wow. Church people? Yes. Fierce. You should see how he rolled out his eyes. I lost a young member of one of my churches some years ago. And then I ran into her in the marketplace. Yes, I shop sometimes. And when I saw her, she was so frightened. I said, don't be scared. Let not your heart be troubled, my friend. How's everything? We love you still. I didn't put her on a guilt trip and say, where have you been? Have you been sinning? One pastor actually asked my friend that. Are you you hiding because you're sinning? (laughs) Usually people hide when they sin. So you don't have to remind them of that. But then she got down into it and she said, Pastor, I'm going to another church now. I said, beautiful. I said, why did you stop coming to our church? And, you know, well, the head deacon saw my little boy running around. And he grabbed him and put him in his place. And I didn't like that. Sometimes we are fierce, you know. Sometimes we don't open our mouths, but they still think we are fierce. By the look we give them. Brethren, we are not all true Christians. We are all churchians, but we are not all true Christians. We are all religious, but not all true Christians. Christians operate in a different way. And before I close my message before the set of sun, I'm going to give a brief description of who is a true Christian. And he is described right here in the Bible. Because there are true Christians. I know some of you are right here today because some things I'm describing, you would, not, you would not get to that level to turn people off from Jesus. There are true Christians here. Then the last verse, 5, tells us something that I am appalled with. It says, Many of these who have been practicing these things we have been naming They only have a form of godliness. So this part is addressing religious people. To have a form of godliness means you are a member of a church somewhere. Your name shows up on the list. You probably hold an office. You are probably looking religious. But it's only a form of godliness. We can fool the people but we can't fool God. He reads my heart like an open book. There is no place I can hide with my secret life that God cannot discover me. And thank him he's so merciful, sometimes he keeps our secrets just to protect us. But it does not mean that we are innocent. You know, God is the best keeper of secrets. He even promised to take all my sins, and there are many, you know, to the bottom of the sea. And put up a sign and say, no fishing." No deep sea diving. Just to protect me. There are things about me that only God knows. And I'm not the only one he keeps secrets for. This passage is applicable even to the church in the last days. Then in verse 7 he says, and this is another one. Thank you young man. There are some who are so religious. That they are always learning. Their knowledge is always on the increase. New light all the time. Present truth. Growing and going and showing. But they never come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what's the knowledge of the truth that they are missing? Help me out. Remember all this is about Jesus. Hallelujah. It was so in his time. There were rabbis, and you know who were the rabbis? The rabbis were the elite in theology. All the Jews looked to them to interpret the scriptures. They were the PhDs and the doctors of ministry in theology. And whatever they said was commandment. That's why the Jews had so many. You think they only had ten? They were doing better than God. On the Sabbath alone, they had 613 laws. Don't turn on the light switch. I was in Jerusalem a year and a half ago. And when I got to the elevator, there were like four or five Jews. And they all stood there. And I'm wondering, are they secret service? Are they in the Lord's army? And I'm waiting until I press the... I didn't have to press. By the time I raised my hand and the sensor of the movement went off, the thing opened. Even the elevator in a public hotel on a Saturday is programmed to move automatically. Because for them, touching the key of the elevator is to break the Sabbath. You can't laugh on Sabbath. You can't light fire on Sabbath. You can't show romance to your wife on Sabbath. Oh, that's the unpardonable sin. So the Jews were religious, and that's the kind of world Jesus chose to come in. Why didn't he come earlier or later? Why did he come when religion was so tense and complicated? And then I turn the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus came to John and was baptized of John. And then as he was coming up out of the water, the Spirit of God came down upon him like a dove, not a dove now. Like a dove. The same way a dove would descend. That's how the Holy Ghost came down upon Jesus. And rested on his head. And he came out of that water. I, I was rebaptized in that water. The same water. And when he came out. The Bible says. And Jesus went to Galilee. Or Capernaum. Capernaum who? To Samaria. He headed to Samaria. Read it in John, uh, Matthew chapter 4. And John chapter 4 I think also. He said, Jesus head to Samaria. And when Jesus got into Samaria, he was introduced to Jacob's well. This was the famous water supply of all the Arab world. The famous water supply because it was built, that well was dug and built by Jacob, the patriarch of the Hebrew religion. And there was so much respect for that spot of ground. And Jesus met an unmarried woman there. And the first official theological Christian move that Jesus made after his anointing was to break the rabbinical law. Lord have mercy. He could have ended his ministry by what he did the first day he started. You know what Jesus did? He saw the young woman heading to the well with her pan, with her bucket, and walked over to her. And in rabbinical teaching, that's a no-no. The only female that you can approximate publicly has to be a member of your own immediate family. And if it is an extended family cousin, you have to show birth certificate to show that you are related. Jesus was a Jew and this woman was a Gentile. So not only were they not related, but their races were different. And that made it more terrible for Jesus to do. Don't be seen talking to a single woman in public. Or you run the risk of being stoned to death or have your neck cut off. And beheading is not strange in those parts of the world if you are listening to the news. And Jesus decided to break the law of the rabbis. The rabbinical law which was more strict than the commandment of God. The moral law. And he knew the risk he was running. But he came to set the record straight. Hallelujah. And that's why I follow Jesus. That's why Jesus is my hero. And I don't need anyone to tell me how to live the true Christian life. I just study the life of Jesus and emulate him. It may get me in trouble. But I rather get in trouble doing what Jesus did. For he that loseth his life for my sake will find it, he says. And Jesus said, Young woman, how can I help you? I am thirsty. Could you get me some water? And to show you that even this Gentile woman was familiar with the Hebrew rabbinical religious law, she turned to Jesus and said, Master, before she answered the request, you know, she said, Master, you know that this thing that you're asking of me is not legal. It's not legal because a Jew cannot ask a favor of a Gentile. And a single man cannot ask a favor of a single woman. And so I, I am disqualified in two major ways. I am single and unmarried. Even though she was single, she, was, she mingled, you know. She was single, but she was mingling. She was singling, but she was mingling. You will hear later on. It says, and I am a Gentile and you are a Jew. Jesus said, listen, young lady. No me preocupo lo que me dice. It does not it does not bother me I don't worry about what you're telling me I know more than what your law requires if you want a water that will quench your thirst eternally and he was not talking about liquid water he was talking about himself because Jesus is the water of life if you say yes to my offering of my water you will never thirst again And when the woman heard that, she said, Lord, give me some of that water. Give me some of that water. And would you believe that Jesus entered her heart? And then they had a sane conversation. And the next thing the woman did was to confess that her life was a social mess. She said, Lord, right now I'm at a bad place. And true Christians will come clean. True Christians that really want God to help them. They will put away the hypocrisy. They will put away the denial that they've been struggling with for years. And they will come clean and say, Lord, let go and let God. This woman said, Lord, I'm not married, but I have a man at home. And in our culture, we call each other husband and wife. Jesus said, but you're not married. (laughs) She had no idea who she was talking with. Jesus stayed all the way in heaven before he came down. And saw, saw her story. Jesus said, right now, you have six men simultaneously going on with. Six men. I wonder if those men knew about each other. No, that's a lot, you know. She must have been really good looking. Six men to one man. And then the one you are living with right now that you slept with last night, is not your husband neither. But how you know that, Lord? How you know that? I was trying to keep that part a secret. So listen, my dear. I'm not here to condemn you. You see, Jesus understands your circumstances. Jesus knew that that poor woman was a victim of her own circumstance. And men use their prowess to manipulate the poor thing. You know, when you are in poverty and your life is limited in many ways, you become dependent. And Jesus understood her circumstance. Jesus said, "My dear, forget all those men. This is the one you need, because I won't be taking from you. I will just be giving to you. I will fill you up. You will never be thirsty again. You don't worry, you don't have to worry to pay me back. I don't need what you have. I made you. I know your needs, and I came all the way from heaven, and then I came all the way from Jerusalem into this. Into this non-Jew territory with a purpose. Jesus is tremendous. You know he was not at that place by accident. You know he had plans to be there. And would you believe that for the first time in the history of the Arab world. They were being exposed to true Christianity. The true gospel. They were held hostage by rabbinical teachings all these years. And now Jesus came and changed this woman and said to the woman, Go back home. Leave your water pots. Go back home and tell all the men in your house and all the people in your city of what happened here today. And guess what? That was the second most successful evangelistic crusade in the history of this planet. The Bible said the whole city heard her story. And came to meet Jesus. And so the gospel was now known. By Gentiles. What the Jews have kept for themselves. All these years. Jesus is not a one. Ethnic group savior. He is the savior for all men. And if we refuse to share the gospel to somebody. Because of what he looks like. Or his social status. Or lack thereof. You know there are some people that actually have no social status. How is that possible? I am working as a volunteer with a program in Orlando for street people. People who have fallen on hard times. Some of them don't even have a birth certificate or any record that they were ever born. They were married and they have no evidence of that marriage. No driver's license. And there's a program in Orlando that was started by a Christian woman to find out who these people were and to ask lawyers who know the law and rich business owners who have the finances to sponsor a program called iDignity. I, capital I, uppercase I, that's what they say here. Dignity, and put dignity back in the hearts and lives of these poor people. And every third Thursday of every month, an average of 250 of these people from different cities of Central Florida, come and join the line like the, you come on there, you'll think it's a, an immigration line. And we take information from the people. And I can't tell you their stories, but some stories are there. Only when we get to heaven we'll understand. And today, these people, after three weeks, those people get back their birth certificate as original, their marriage certificates as original, and their driver's license if they're qualified. And you should see the hundreds of pictures they take with their new documents. Now for the first time in 30 years, some of them can go look a job. And get off the street and get on their feet. With a smile on their faces and a song in their hearts. This is what Jesus would do. This is what true Christianity does. We don't waste time criticizing religions and making ourselves out better than people. No, we find the needs. And address them. And you know what? True Christians don't wait in the church for people to come and find them. True Christians leave the building and go in search of those who are in need. That's one of the best ministries I've ever had in my 33 years of Seventh-day Adventist ministry. Every third Thursday, you will see me in the assembly line helping people to get back on their feet. This did not come in a hurry. These are things that God has taught and revealed to me as I dig into his words. And in closing, because time is going, in the first century when Christianity started, would you believe that Christians did not even have to identify themselves? Did you know Christians were called Christians for the first time by community people? In Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. The first Christian church that was organized by the apostles. The things they did got people's attention. They got people talking. They turned their world upside down. They loved each other. The rich sold what they had and turned the money in. So that the poor who had nothing could get something. And that satisfied their souls. And guess what? Those who gave never got poorer. God bless them more. If you think that helping somebody will bring you down to nothing, you make a big mistake. Only religious people think like that. True Christians don't think like that. And these people would go around, and those who never even had a a university degree, nor a college degree, there were high school dropouts and elementary school dropouts. Some did not do two years in school. They were not preaching the gospel. And saving souls in the kingdom of God. Who could it be but Jesus? And the Bible says brothers and sisters. That when they reach a little place called Antioch in Pisidia. Over there in Acts chapter 11. When they reach into Antioch in Pisidia. Read verses 19. And you read a little lower down. The Bible says that the people said these are Christians. So if I have to go out there and tell people I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, something is wrong. They are supposed to discover that by themselves. Ne- let not my mouth have to say it. If a pastor has to stand there and say, I'm the pastor, listen to me. Something is wrong. It means that his action is not showing. So his words have to make up for it. Let me tell you, Jesus did not have to tell anyone he was the Savior of the world. The people knew it. By what he did, and by what he did not do, and by what he said, and by what he did not say. They said, wait, wait, this is the Messiah. Yes, you saw what he did. When Philip met Nathanael in John chapter 1, verse 29 going down, Nathaniel said to him, Philip, I hear about these things that this man from Nazareth is doing. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Philip said, you better believe it. Come and see. He said, come and see. He didn't, he didn't give him a lecture and prove a list of what he saw. He said, you come and see. And the Bible said, Nathaniel went all the way to Nazareth and met Jesus. And saw his humble little home. The Bible didn't say that. The Spirit of Prophecy said, he met him in his little humble setting. And being in the presence of Jesus alone was a wow to him. And the Bible says after a few a few hours or days being around Jesus. He turned to Jesus and said, can I stay here with you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to be like Jesus, brethren. People will find you and they don't want to leave your company. Can the world say that about us? How about our workplaces? When we show up Monday morning, are there coworkers who wish you had called in sick? Or are they glad to see you show up? yes no this is not a joke you know some christians even some adventists are cantankerous oh vicious obnoxious and cantankerous miserable thin-skinned you have some adventists lord have mercy on us don't mash their toes the third world war would start some of us are not easy you know now this is being religious If we react to everything people do that we didn't like, it means we are still religious. The Christians of the first century endured a lot and never complained. When Paul preached his last sermon in Turkey and was going back to Jerusalem, two people came to him and said, we got a vision last night from God to tell you not to go back to Jerusalem. You know what Paul said to them? Read it in the book of Acts, chapter 20, chapter 21. Read it in the book, chapter 18 going up. I'm going through the book of Acts right now. Paul said to them, even if they take me into jail and spank me and kill me, I am going back to Jerusalem because the people need the gospel. Hallelujah. They didn't have time to worry about people offending them. To suffer for the gospel was their greatest pleasure. Virgin, take a stock on yourself. No, this is, God has sent me here for me. But take a stock on yourself. Maybe not while you are in church today, but later this evening if you have no commitment. Sit down and do an inventory on your life, on your relationship with Christ. And ask him, Lord, uh, where am I at with you right now? Am I thin-skinned? Do I get offended when I don't like what the pastor does? Do I have it in me to forgive that sister who hurt my friend? And, and if I'm struggling with these petty things, Lord, help me to grow up into you, to be so matured that even under the strongest threats and persecution, I will still react with a smile. And the spirit of Stephen, when they throw the stone and hit Stephen in his right mandibula. He turned to heaven and the light of heaven just shone. And he saw the glory of God. And when they hit him on the other side. With what was left of his speaking ability. He said Lord forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He didn't call down fire from heaven to strike them down. And some of us are at that place. Talk to God about your Christian experience right now. True Christians don't react to everything. In fact, we give God thanks for tests and trials because it is through that avenue that God builds our faith. Hallelujah. The world knew the Christians by the love they had for each other. Do we love each other? See there, Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35, it says everyone was sharing and there was no poverty for all who owned land and houses, sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to those who were in need. When the gentleman Cornelius learned the gospel, he gave millions of dollars. He was a million multi-millionaire. He turned it over to the gospel and said, Help the poor. Feed the hungry people. Buy medicines for those who are sick that you can't heal. The gospel must do something for us and through us when we receive it. Their faithfulness to God's work. Acts 20 and verse 35. It says, It was more blessed their motto was. Their motto was, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh God, help me to get to that place. By now you understand the difference between being religious and being a Christian. And before I pray, it is possible to be a true Christian, even in this modern age. It is possible. It is possible. People need true Christians. They don't need more religious people. They need true Christians. It starts with a willingness to admit that we lack something. It's a bad sign. When we pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, I am all right. I am all right. True Christians never react that way. We are not all all right. In a sinful world, there is room for improvement even in your Christian walk with God. Admit. Stop being in denial. Stop being in denial. Don't condemn other people because they don't believe what we believe. Jesus does not do that. He prayed for people. As good as we make ourselves out to be, we are not yet where God wants us to be. We still have thin skins. Some people just walk away from the church and stop coming. Because the pastor preached a sermon that they felt that he targeted them. When Jesus comes and is separating the goats from the sheep, you know, the the Christians from the religious people and the non-religious. How can I expect to come to him when he says Conrad Duncan? And he says to me, but Conrad, the last 15 years of your life, you didn't go back to the church. How could I tell him I didn't like the sermon that the pastor preached? No, think about it, brethren. This is serious. You may not invite me back to your church, and that's okay, but I'm still going to finish. But these petty things, brethren, eternal life is much more than all these combined. God is always competing for our time and our attention. Some of us, we are so busy, busy, going to work, going to shopping, going to the mall, going to the movie theater, going. And I'm not saying that these are all bad things, but by the end of the day, not even five minutes with the word of God. Some of us jump out the beds, jump in the shower, jump out of the house, jump in the car, rush to work, and not even a word of prayer. True Christians don't operate like that. In fact, true Christians cannot go through a day without starting it with God. Is my job more important than God? He's the one that makes my job successful, so I better give him my attention. No doubt some people die of heart attack right there in their job. Right there. I'm not saying God causes it. But if you live a stressed life, it will lead to a heart attack. It's not only Russians that rush. We get upset when things in the church are not going our way. When election of officers come, we sit in the chair like Judge Dredd. Determining who should not hold the position and who should hold it. Did God place us here to do that? No. It has to be done, yes. But everything must be done with prayer. And let the Holy Ghost lead. We shouldn't lead and then say, the, I shouldn't say, Committee, put Brother Johnson as the head deacon. And they vote it and we say the Holy Ghost led. That's not, that's not right. Sometimes we are praying and yet we have the name selected already. It can't work like that. True Christians don't control their own lives. They let go and let God. The Holy Spirit reigns in their lives. All they do is to bear the fruits of the Spirit. They love. They are joyful. They have peace. They are long-suffering. They are gentle. They are godlike. They have faith. And they are temperate in all things. Today, I want to recommit my life to Christ. I need him to start in my heart. I want the people closest to me, my wife and my children, to start noticing the difference. I want my brothers and sisters to not see me nor hear me when I speak, but that they will walk away saying, Wow, wow, did Christ visit us today? Did he send someone with a message that my soul needed? I even meet a few Adventists sometimes when it's time for the sermon. They're walking through the exit door. And I ask, why? Well, you see who's on the list to preach today? Let me tell you, the person you don't want to hear, the person you run from, the person that you're disgusted by that is going to preach today, that's the person God is sending the message to your soul that you need most through. The one that you can't stand. It happened to me when I was a young man. When it was time for Brother Reuben Gray to preach, I would cry. Not only would he preach like the pastor who preached to Johnny alone for three hours, but most of his sermon would be quotation from Ellen White. Long reading, his head was down more than it was up. I would cry when I saw his name on the list. He is one of the people why I am in the church today. The preacher you can't stand Maybe the one, the only one with the message God has for your soul. At a moment in time in your life. You know you can have a particular need for a particular message at a certain time more than other times. Because of what you are going through. God knows your circumstances better than you. And he will send what you need. When you even don't understand what you need. So you can hate me after today. I have given you all the hay, I'm sorry. But trust me, I did not give it all away. I'm keeping some for myself. My soul needs it. Lord, when the question is posed, where are all the Christians gone? I pray that somebody can point to me and say there is one left. That's my desire, Father. It's not about me because I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Is there somebody else today who wants Jesus to take full control of your life? give it up, give it up to him and say, Lord, I have been running the show myself for a long time. But what I realized today, I was only religious. True Christians don't run their own lives. True Christians' lives are run and directed by God through the Holy Ghost. That at the end of the day, you will look back and say, you mean God used me to do that? I can't realize it. I can't realize it. It's like a few years ago, the president of the conference came to me and said, Conrad, have you ever thought of going to Andrews and doing your doctorate? I said, no, doc, it's not for me. I'm busy preaching the word, God soon comes, and I want people to be saved. He said, Conrad, think about it. And I said, well, so many things are stocked up against me. I never studied in North America I did my first two degrees outside of America, and you have to study in America your master's in order to do the doctorate at Andrews. He said, well, I think you have the ability, Conrad. You don't think you do, but I think so. And if I were you, I would pray about it. And you know I did. And when I went to Andrews, they told me, it's not likely that you will get through. And that only added to my fears. My last degree was done in another language and they have to translate everything into American English. And my first degree was done in another country, another division, not in another language, but everything had to be translated and upgraded. And they said, you won't likely make it, Conrad. And I prayed, and I made a call to Montemorelos, Mexico, and asked for the man who was a chairman of my department when I studied there 18 years ago. I wasn't sure he was alive still. But God kept him alive. He might have died since. But when I called him and he remembered me, he said, Conrad, I will do anything for you. And the guy took his own money and went to the business office at the university and paid for these people to translate all my grades and my research, everything, into English. And he said to me, Conrad, don't worry. If I die before you get to pay me back, it's okay and i made sure i paid him before he died <laughs> they shipped the thing to andrews and when they got it mm, 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 mm. <laughs> wow this is anemic they said the program you did is anemic you couldn't do what we offer here call the doctor at the ministry you would have to do 18 more hours at southern adventist university to qualify to get in the doctorate i said okay I went back to my president, and I told him the hill I would have to climb, and he said, Conrad, let me talk to them. And I don't know what he said to them. I don't know. Don't ask me. I believe he told them that I work with this guy, and I think he's capable. What else could he say? Because they called me back and said, just go to uh, to, to Southern and do two classes. And I did. And they took me in. And thank God, three weeks ago, he helped me to defend the thesis successfully. And my degree will be confirmed on me on the 17th of December. And if that is not God, I don't know what you call him. He is a God who specializes in the impossible. Fourteen of us started my class and I'm the first one to finish. And they said I did it in record time. They said the average time for the doctorate is five years from the first class to the last. I finished mine in three years. What is 2012 to 2015? Three years. And my lowest grade was 94. Who could it be but Jesus? And because I have this experience with my Lord, based on the relationship I live with him every day, I couldn't live without him. Nobody else from my family, nine siblings, and nobody else graduated from a high school. My father died 73 years of age and could hardly read. My mother could read, but she didn't go to high school. I I was voted the least likely to succeed in school, the least likely. In my community, they said, you are just going to be like everyone else and die before you are 20 or go to prison. That's what they said. But you never, never doubt the power of God. Young people, I'm telling you this. If you expect to make it successful in this life, you need the Lord. You need the Lord. Even if you gain all the grades and gain the whole world and land the best paid job. If you leave God out your life, your end will be worse than your beginning. With God. You start at the bottom, but you won't end there. With the devil, you start at the top and you end at the bottom. With God, you start at the bottom and you end on top. It is your choice. I'd rather be a true Christian than to just be religious to impress my neighbors. If you want to join me today and trust God to make you what he wants you to be,